Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beer and Money. My name is Ryan Burklow. And I'm Alex Collins. And today we are here with Charles Lindbergh from Goosehead Insurance. Welcome, Charles. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. So on today's episode, Charles is a uh, property and casualty uh, agent, and he specifically helps a lot of our clients actually with their personal insurance uh, needs. A lot of conversations, a lot of questions, Alex, you and I get tend to be around like this gig economy and, and the issues that are coming with insuring those vehicles and, and homes and right assets and how that differs possibly from your personal insurance, Charles, which you're going to talk into. And then we'll talk about different mistakes a lot of people have with uh, the design of their insurance policies. So that's the agenda for today's episode. But before we dive into that, Alex, let's, let's, we got three different beers today. So what is everyone drinking, Alex? Uh, so I am drinking Consecration, uh, which is a sour from Russian River down in California. Uh, it, uh, uh, boy, I don't know what the alcohol is on this. It clocks in at uh, 10%, but it only has 10 IBUs. So it's a, a bit of a, a difference from what we normally drink here, Ryan. And at 10%, I can't wait about, you know, three beers in for you. It'd be a much funner <laughs> conversation for us. So, Charles, what are you drinking? I have a uh, orange wheat from uh, Redlands, California. It's 4.6 uh, alcohol percentage. And uh, it's a very nice American wheat ale. It's very, very orangey. It's got a little bit of a sour uh, aftertaste to it. It's actually, it's actually kind of nice. I'm a big fan of of orange in my beer, so I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm drinking the Elysian Contact Haze, Hazy IPA. Alex Collins politely looked, up, politely looked up the IBUs. For those of you who are wondering, it's a 39er on the, on the IBU rating scale, and it's a 6% alcohol by volume. It's, it's a solid drinkable Hazy IPA. Elysian is, is not my favorite necessarily brewery, but I think they make a, a, a pretty solid IPA. But uh, Alex's favorite is definitely Elysian. <laughs> yeah, I had, a, I had a bad experience with them back in the day. Nice. Um, but uh, no, I like, so the, the consecration that I'm drinking, it has some black currants in it that's uh, giving it the sour. Um, it definitely packs a punch in at 10%. Um, but, uh, any of the sours that are put out by Russian river, I'm a fan of. Um, <clears throat> so we, we may wind up going through a few, few more days or podcasts where Ryan's drinking one beer and Alex is drinking a sour cause it's not Ryan's cup of tea for sure. It's definitely an acquired taste, but this is a, it's a nice thick, if you can see it on the, uh, we're actually t- recording this on video as well. It's a nice, thick, dark, uh, dark beer. And very, very rich in flavor. So that's what we're drinking. Now let's get into the, the topic at hand. I think everyone's favorite topic, Charles. I'm sure when you talk to people, just like we we do, um, people are pretty giddy and excited about talking about insurance. Oh, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a nonstop ride over here. We have, uh, yeah, tons of fun talking about numbers and how much it's going to cost you this year. So, uh Everyone just loves it. No, it's, hey, let's uh, talk about the worst things that can happen to me. Let's do it. Yeah. Go. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah, your house house is on fire. What do you do? Yeah, it's it's it's. Um, whole, I try to make every conversation. Actually, anytime I call someone who's a current client, I always try to call with good news. Um, so when people see that I'm calling, it's never like, oh no, what's going on? Oh it's crap! Like, oh, the insurance agent's calling me. <laughs> yeah, maybe he has good news this time. Awesome. He, you know, we're getting a, a discount on the renewal. Cool. 
Um, yeah, so I try to make it uh, as good as possible for people. I mean, obviously, if we can, you know, you telling someone you're saving the money or you, you got them way more coverage or something else is going on, I mean, try to try to keep things good for folks. Yeah, and would, like that's kind of how we set it up is like, hey, nobody, very few people love insurance. Like maybe Flo does, I don't know, whatever. But, uh, um, you know, ultimately the goal here is to make sure that come claims time, it's not a bad experience. We'd way rather deal with it on the front end and like understand what we've got, how we've got it and and what the structure is before we get to the point where we're getting information at claims time because that's never a good sign. No. So yeah. speaking of the structure, I mean, it's a great segue there, Alex. It's almost like we planned this conversation. <laughs> On a serious note, like Charles, when, when you're looking at people's insurance policies, like what are common mistakes you tend to see? Um, well, it, it depends. There's a couple. Uh, the, the most common thing I think I would see that I always have to coach people or, or make recommendations for for their household is the total amount of liability coverage they have for their car insurance. That's probably the biggest thing. And the second is is on their home insurance as well. So liability coverage, what is that real quick? Uh, it's something that you guys talk to your clients about because liability coverage is essentially your lawsuit coverage. So if you cause a car accident and now you're being held responsible for all the property damage that you just caused and all the medical bills that you just caused, uh, if you run out of insurance dollars, you're now responsible for the difference. So if your insurance policy says it's only going to pay out 50 grand if you cause a car accident and you caused $100,000 in damage, well, now you have to write a check personally for the difference of 50 grand. Most people, that's going to be probably not possible. Or if it is, it's going to really suck. Um, and probably, you know, especially with you guys, your guys' job, derail their financial plans they were hoping to achieve going forward. So they can no longer contribute to that college fund or safer house, whatever they're trying to do. So my job is to make sure that I'm talking to someone is whatever their net worth is, what they stand to lose, we have a similar number to protect it. So that way, if someone does cause a car accident, we want the insurance company to write a giant check and the client doesn't write a a check for for a dime. Charles, what happens if somebody else caused the accident and they're they got hit? Yeah, that also unfortunately does happen. Um, there's <laughs> a shockingly large number of people that either have no insurance or they're running around with the state minimums uh, in whichever state they might be in Washington. That's twenty five grand in coverage. So there are uh, there is a coverage on your auto policy. It's called uninsured motorist coverage. Uh, basically, that's protection for all the irresponsible idiots out there. So if someone hits you whether or not they damage your car, total your car, hurt you, hurt your passengers. If that person has nothing, or maybe they do like a hit and run, so they you know, effectively have nothing, uh, this is your basically your backup coverage. It steps in and says, hey, since that person was irresponsible, that's okay. We'll still pay to protect you and your vehicle. Um, yeah. Which one of those two is more expensive? Uh, the liability coverage um, is going to be more costly. To, to bump up. The uninsured motorist coverage is technically optional in Washington state. You don't technically have to have it, but just because of how many people have no coverage at all in Washington, I always recommend everybody get it. Yeah. I remember, so Charles, when I was, when I was in the industry, um, there was a lot of people, you know, they wanted state minimums because they thought that they were going to save money by, by having state minimums. And I mm -hmm. recall being shocked, at least back then. I don't know if it still is. So I'm getting to my question here. I apologize. The the state minimums, like if you actually carried higher coverage, it was actually cheaper. Depending on driving record, obviously. 
yeah. it was actually cheaper than if you carried state minimums. Now, is that still true right now? Uh, well, in general, it, it's it's not a linear scale, um, but it is if you have state minimums, you can get a cheaper policy usually in terms of what you pay per month than if you have you know higher limits uh, than that. Uh, that being said, depending on all sorts of factors like your driving history, where you live, your credit factors, um, the the makeup of your household in terms of drivers and cars and so forth, it may not be that much more to double your coverage or triple your coverage or 10 times your coverage. Um, maybe some people think if I double my limits, I'm doubling my cost, but um, usually that's that's definitely not the case. I would say some people, it's we double their coverage for an extra 20 bucks a month. And when they look at what they're getting, they're like, yeah, I mean, it. I don't want to pay an extra 20 bucks a month, but for what I'm getting, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The key, the Alex and I talk into this all the time, right? Like as much as, you know, I don't like paying my insurance premiums either. Let's just call it what it is. But the fact of the matter <laughs> is, is if something occurs, I don't want to be a responsible for covering that person. So if I got in that car accident and I'm at fault and I hit the surgeon that's making 500 grand a year, right? And he can no longer go to work or he has to miss work. Well, I think he might. I mean, we live in the US. He might sue me. And in the state of Washington, they can actually come after your income, right? So it's a bigger conversation to have when we're looking at these liability limits. And I think too often people get them like when they first get married and they never look at them again. Yep. That's that's super common. We have a lot of folks I work with. They're first-time home buyers, So they're right around 30, give or take, uh, sometimes younger, sometimes older. But yeah, typically they have the same limits they had when they left their parents' policy at age 22, 25, something like that. And a lot of people have lower limits. Some some people, you know, had responsible parents or they got good coaching from someone. So they do have higher limits once in a while. But yeah, most people, it's, it's just a routine conversation like, hey, I know you haven't looked at this in 10 years. Here's what I recommend now. You're about to buy a house. You, you're married. You know, maybe you have kids. You have all these other things. And now you have stuff to lose and that means you have stuff to protect. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I can tell you like without a doubt that like myself and I'm almost a hundred percent sure that the three of us on the call have a lot more to protect now than we did when we first graduated college. Um, and so making sure that those liability limits get bumped up is, is important. I don't know that we would have many clients if it was going the opposite way out. <laughs> fair, <laughs> very fair. Well, let me uh, rephrase that. If, if we work on the opposite way, our clients shouldn't be working with us. <laughs> right. Um, so like, that's one half of the cost conversation usually, right, Charles? And then the, the other half of the conversation are like two thirds of the conversation might, might be uh, talking about deductibles. So, uh, like, how do you normally like talk talk to clients about deductibles? Where, like, where where do you start that conversation, and and how how should we think about deductibles? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a deductible, real quick, it's just the if you have to file a claim and actually use your policy, whether we're talking about your car or your home, the deductible is basically the amount of money that the the client, the the insured, has to come up with first before the insurance company steps in and does their their thing. So if you have a $30,000 kitchen fire and that's the total bill is 30 grand, if you had a $1,000 deductible on your home policy, that just means when the claim is all done, the insurance company will send you a check for 29,000, essentially. It's kind of how that'll work out. Um, it, it, every um, every person's a little bit different. Some people, when I talk to them, they straight up say, hey man, I want the highest deductible you can get me on the home. Or I want $250 deductibles on my car. You know, some people just, for some reason, they have things they like totally fine. Um, I always ask people, hey, was there a reason maybe you, you like that option? Um, 
in Washington, super common deductible for homes is is a thousand dollars, and super common deductible for cars is five hundred. That's just typical. What, um, what is the highest deductible for a home in Washington? Out of curiosity. So, so most companies will actually offer a percentage deductible. Percentage and, of the home, yep. Eesh. Yeah, and it's it's a percentage of the re. This is going to get technical and complicated. But it's a percentage of the rebuild cost of the home. So, if you have a home that's half a million dollars to rebuild, not not the market value, but the rebuild cost is half a million dollars. If you have one percent deductible, that means you have a five thousand dollar deductible. So it's something to be aware of. What one percent doesn't sound so bad. It is, yeah, no, one, you're like, 1%, that, that's tiny. 1% of the claim? No, it's 1% of whatever the home rebuild is. So it's it can be a lot if you have a bigger house. Sure. You know, what's interesting about that, though, is, and Alex, you and I talking to this with our clients, right? Like so many people, like it's all of the internet sometimes, like it goes in, in waves around like self-insured, right? I want to be self-insured. And, you know, we always talk about like, you can self-insure yourself and it makes sense a lot of times, except for the instances where it's a huge loss, like loss of income or, you know, obviously a loss of a home could be, could be uh, catastrophic as well, but maybe self-insure the deductible, right? Right. And so that's what we talk into is, okay, well, if you've got adequate savings, like if you have a solid emergency fund and you've got solid access to money then have the higher deductible. You should. Why pay more money to the insurance company? Especially, you know, statistically speaking, when you're more financially stable, like the chances of you actually having that loss actually goes down, right? Because you're financially stable. So why not self-insure the deductible and lower the, the insurance premium? Sometimes you have to you have to weigh the deductible may not be like I'll give an example. If let's just say your home insurance is two thousand dollars a year, and your current deductible is a thousand bucks, like you said, and you decide to to raise it to one percent, so maybe your insurance, maybe your home insurance only goes down to nineteen hundred. Well, I would say the hundred dollars probably isn't worth <laughs> that extra money, but if it got and this is overly drastic, I don't think this would actually happen. But over, let's just say it actually cuts the premium in half. Well, then that might be worth it. So I yeah, think that's the way to analyze that. The the view that I always used to take it is like, okay, how long does it take to get for me to get those premium dollars back or right. the, the extra yep. deductible back? Yep. So if like in your example, Ryan, we save $1,000. If we went from a $1,000 deductible up to a $5,000 deductible that we were talking about earlier with 1% of a $500,000 rebuild, that math is pretty simple. Five years. If we have a claim, a home claim more than once every five years – keep the deductible lower. If not, raise the deductible up. Murphy's law is in full effect, of course, right? So as soon as you do something like this, you're going to wind up with a claim. Um, but at knock the same wood, time, knock on wood. Yeah. But at the, at the same time, like it's also one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, that just makes sense. And Charles, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you have a home, home insurance claim more than once every five years, you got some big issues. There's uh, trust me, I've seen a lot worse. I've I've seen people they'll file uh, one claim a year for the last several years in a row. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes so, it's bad luck and sometimes it's uh, lack of coaching from their agent or or whoever. So speak but, into that. Like like yeah. when would you want to file a claim? When would you not want to file a claim? Yeah. So so in case people people didn't realize whether we're talking about cars or homes, if you file a claim for, for most things, it's going to surcharge, increase the cost of your insurance for typically three or five years, depending on what it was. There are some exceptions. For example, 
most companies, if you have a weather-related loss like windstorm, hail, lightning, those are not going to increase your home insurance costs. But other things are. So if you have a water pipe that bursts, if you have a, a dishwasher starts dumping water into the kitchen, if you have a fire, those sort of things will. Um, so we usually don't like people filing claims unless it's financially worth it. So if you have a, let's say we had a thousand dollar deductible and the total bill to fix whatever just went wrong in your house is 2,500. Yeah. The, the company is <laughs> going to surcharge your policy for five years. Filing a claim to get 1500 back from the insurance company is probably not going to make financial sense for you. So if the client called me, I'd say, Hey, probably not the best idea long-term to do that. In the short term, it might sound okay, but you got to think about they're going to raise my rates for five years. So, so Charles, real, real quick here, because I think we need to get to the, the gig economy thing, which is, I oh, think, yeah. a, a really important piece of this. And um, when, I, when I was an insurance agent, it was very important for me to know what if you had pets and specifically what breed of pets that you had, because it may, like, you may not be able to go with certain insurance companies. I'm guessing that's still the case. Yeah. Yeah. Every carrier, and there's, remember, there's hundreds of carriers in the United States. Um, they all have specific underwriting guidelines ranging on all sorts of things from the age of the roof to the type of foundation they'll take to um, where the home is located because of fire risk and other stuff. Yep. And one of the things they look at out of all these hundreds of variables is is dog breeds. Um, every carrier has a list of dog breeds. Some have, have no list. So they don't, don't care if you have five Great Danes and 10 Pit Bulls. They're okay with that. Um, but most carriers are going to say, Hey, if you have these breeds, we either a won't insure the home at all, or we're going to exclude any coverage if that dog bites somebody. So, and that's the number one usage of your liability. Your home insurance home yep. is yeah, your, your dog biting someone, even though your dog is a sweetheart, you know, if, if some little kid runs up to it and scares it, that could be all it takes, uh, unfortunately. So, so the two breeds that you just mentioned there, Pitbull, I would have totally expected to be on the list. Oh, yeah. Great Dane, that one surprises yeah. me a little bit. Well, I mean, Great Danes, you know, they're miniature horses. They, they'll they ruin your couch by laying on it. So if they bowl some kid over and the kid falls down and hits their head on the concrete, because this dog's, yeah. a, you know, more than 100 pounds. I mean, yeah, there's um, Great Danes, Rottweilers, Pitbulls, uh, German Shepherds sometimes, um, Akitas, Malmutes, all those, you know, big dogs. Um, Bernie's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something to be aware of. So that's one thing I always ask people. They got a collie. Awesome. Were you thinking about getting another dog down the road? What kind of dog were you thinking of? Pomeranian? Yeah. Great. Go for it. Uh, <laughs> it's just the big dogs. It's just something to be, uh, something to be aware. Yeah. And make sure the insurance company is aware of it, right? Like having yeah. the dog and not telling your insurance company and something occurring, you may not be covered. Exactly. They, they may have the right to deny the claim in, uh, in total. Right. So hey, Charles, full disclosure, at some point in the next six months to a year, we're getting a dog. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> Muzzle top. <laughs> it's a chihuahua. No, no, no. <laughs> I said that dog on purpose because I knew you wouldn't be getting a chihuahua. Uh, yeah. Um, my neighbors are great, but their dog barks like crazy and it drives us insane. Little yappers. Yeah. So, all right, let's transition here to the, the gig economy issues, right? So Air, Airbnb, VRBO, um, the, the Ubers or Lyfts, and, Lyft, and, yeah. right? And now there's uh, Turo where you can rent your car out, right? So there's there's all of those those pieces out there nowadays. And I think a lot of people have maybe personal insurance policies 
you know, I'll, I'll pick on one for now. Let's just say it's auto ins- uh, personal auto insurance policy and they're an Uber driver. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the personal auto insurance policy does not transition to an, being an Uber driver, correct? Um, if you don't tell the insurance company and you did not specifically add the what they would call an endorsement or the extra coverage for being an Uber driver, then yeah, if something happens, um, then yeah, there, there'd be no coverage. And it's a little complicated, but if you go on Uber's website, they should have a diagram of this. They basically break down the, there's three different phases of being an Uber driver uh, with regards to, you know, you have the app open, you're going to pick someone up or you have someone in the car, they kind of break down uh, where they cover and where your personal auto policy should cover. Um, but yeah, if you're doing anything with DoorDash, Uber, Turo, anything that's, hey, I want to make some money with my car, essentially, if that's what you're doing, uh, being a pizza delivery driver, anything like that, you're going to want to make sure, is my insurance policy cover me? If not, is that something they can do? Or do I have to go find a totally different carrier? Because that that happens sometimes too. Yeah, I wonder how many Domino's delivery drivers are walk are driving around with their personal yeah. Yeah, they're like, hey, I'm going to deliver pizzas for the summer, and it never crosses their mind that there could be an issue with that. And, you know, to be fair, people shouldn't be expected to know that. Why would you? Would, yeah. yeah. So I now have, like, Home Alone running through my head of, like, little, <laughs> little Nero's. Little Nero's <laughs> who, like, bowls over, like, the statue or whatever. And right. Exactly. Yeah, that's that might be an issue if the homeowner uh, was able to figure that out. So I've got a client that's going through a divorce right now. And one of the things that their attorney brought up was the idea of like, well, hey, if you need extra money, you can rent out like you've got a space that you can have an RV, you can rent out your garage, you can rent out some outbuildings like a shed or something like that to like, like have it be storage. Like Alex, does Heather know that you rent out the shed when you're in trouble (laughs) with her? Heather, I I hope you're listening and I hope that's actually the case. (laughs) don't currently have a shed. Although I do look forward to building one this summer. So does Heather. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I should have played the media on that one. Dang it. Sorry, Charles, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, you're good. Um, (laughs) Yo, Alex, no, great point. I mean, it's a similar thing, right? You're like, Hey, I mean, this sounds cool. I think I'll, I'll make it work. I can make a few extra bucks. Maybe it's a short term deal. Um, yeah, again, with, with doing anything that's going to make money off of your home or your car, your base policy for whatever you have probably doesn't have that coverage built in. So you need to have it updated and, and changed. And again, there's a possibility that you might need to get an entirely different insurance company to handle your home because the one you have right now just doesn't have it as an option. So, uh, yeah, if you're doing Airbnb, that's totally possible. I have a lot of clients that do, but some carriers will do it and some won't. Got it. Okay. Yeah. No, it'd be... Like that just reminds me that like that particular client needs to have a conversation with you about like, Hey, here are all of the different things that they may wind up doing to create extra income. Mm-hmm. What is needed to, to have like a endorsement on the policy or some modification to like be able to accomplish these things. Heather Collins, a uh, Charles number is four, two, five. <laughs> funny, funny, funny. Um, Charles, I am curious. Uh, you know, I followed this guy on Instagram um, that uh, bought a couple cars specifically for Turo, right? And mm-hmm. I was just really more curious than anything else. My question to you is on on the insurance side of stuff. Um, what is the, my, my honest question is, is like, what's the general cost of that? Like if this guy has two or three cars that he's renting out, like, 
I realize there's probably a lot of questions you would have to give me like a number. Like I'm not naive, but like, are we talking about like in terms of comparing it to auto insurance, are we talking like three, four times the amount? Like what does that look like roughly? Well, yeah, for, for folks doing something like Turo, um, the, the company itself does offer coverage and you want to be very careful when you read it to see specifically when they do and do not provide coverage. And you'll also want to work with your current insurance company to say, Hey, I'm thinking of doing this with my car. Is that something that you guys a are cool with and number two have any coverage for so you have to kind of figure out the logistics there as well um I, i've actually i don't know much about specifics on Turo itself so i never um i don't rent out my car and i i haven't uh, talked with any of uh one so my question does, is so sorry to interrupt my question was actually so i didn't realize and i should have realized this Turo is the one that's actually providing the the insurance yeah. coverage on yeah. that instance there's nothing that the person should do like if i were to do that Right, and I were to go buy a car, and I decided to to use Turo. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would I would read through those documents and make sure that it's covered the way that I really truly should be covered. And frankly, I think I'd want some secondary coverage because there's you know me being a control freak, Alex, shut up. Would want <laughs> some some backup to CYA. Like, what are your thoughts on that, and how would I go about doing that? Yeah, so for Turo, both the owner, the guy who's renting out the car, and the person who's renting the car, they can both get coverage through Turo. Um, in terms of where that coverage stops and any um, carve-outs or exclusions or things like that that might be in there, I'm not super familiar with. Um, but in general, if, you, uh, if you're if you thinking of renting a Turo car, call your current insurance company, be like, hey, if I do this, am I covered? They're probably going to say no. Uh, they may say um, you could be for X dollars for, you know, the year. Um, so you'll want to work with them first. If you're going to be renting a car, I would, I would call them first. So this reminds me, like, I feel like I, like this happens like once every three years or something. And like pretty much every time you get a text from me going, what do I need to do here? When I'm at the, like the rental car company going, do right. I have coverage on my normal policy or do I need to purchase the coverage that, Hertz or rent a car or dollar or insert rental car company here is offering. So can you speak to that real quickly? Yeah. Yeah. So what they'll offer um, are something called damage waivers and they're not insurance. They're similar. Um, so it's a little complicated, but long story short, your current auto policy will transfer its coverage to the vehicle that you're renting for, for the period of time. So your liability limits will transfer. So those will be the same. And if your current policy has coverage to insure the physical car itself with just the comp uh, comprehensive and collision coverages, then those will also transfer to the car that you're renting. So if you damage the car, you can pay your comprehensive or your collision deductible. Most people at $500, as I mentioned before, and then your insurance company will take care of the rest. The downside to doing that is now you've used your insurance. That's an at-fault accident, presumably. Um, that's going to raise your rates for X number of years. So that's why the damage waiver I mentioned before with the rental car company, usually it, you'll want to see what they're charging per day. It might be an extra 20 bucks a day or 25 bucks a day. So it may add up if you're renting a car for a little bit. But what it lets you do it's essentially you damage their car, you have the waiver on there, um, you basically get it back to them, give them the keys, and more or less you walk away. That's essentially kind of how they sell it to you. Um, so that can be nice because now you've not used your insurance policy. There's no claim that's been reported to your insurance carrier. They don't know anything about it. Your rates don't go up because of it. And 
hopefully um, it was an easy process where you give them back their ruined car and you say, thanks, <laughs> you go back home. So I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here for a second. The last time you rented a car from somebody else, did you get their the damage waiver? Me? No. Um, I'm trying to remember <laughs> when that was. That would have been... Oh, man. <laughs> it's been a long time, actually. I think it's been about three years since I rented a car. It was for three days. We did not get the damage waiver because um, it was only for three days. We weren't driving a ton. So I just did the, the mental calculus, and for me, it wasn't worth it. But it, no, I totally appreciate it. And like Ryan's reaction to that was priceless. <laughs> well, I was just going to add a, a couple things here. I've got a unique perspective because when I got out of college, I actually started an enterprise rent a car. Oh, and funny. so <clears throat> what's really interesting about this is um, enterprise, actually their contracts is what you just said. If you got in an accident or you damaged the car, you hand them the keys, you walk away. Like it, it really is that simple. There are carriers out there, insurance carriers, I mean, not insurance, I apologize, rental car companies that you're actually not getting a clear walk away uh, policy like that. You're actually yeah. just get, not having to pay your deductible mm-hmm. and yeah, the insurance company, they're still filing through your insurance company. <clears throat> so that's number one. Number two, that often is not spoken about, and I forget what the insurance policies do cover in this instance. So, you know, Charles, if, if I were to rent a car, damage it now enterprise or whatever company can't rent that car out. They can actually sue me for loss of use. Yeah. So the question is, is does my personal insurance policy cover me for loss of use? Yeah. So I want to say there were some interesting court cases about this. So the argument is that I damaged enterprises rental car. They can no longer rent that out and make money off of it. So I've essentially also, in addition to the damage to the car, I've also caused them this loss of future revenue. Understandable. Yep. Um, and the question is, well, can the can enterprise now bill me for that missing income or is that something they don't have a right to? And I'll be very blunt. I do not remember how that court case turned out because there have been instances, if I remember, where both happened, where the the, bar, uh, the client had to pay that and also instances where they did not. I want to say here now that that is not a a thing anymore where the client would be responsible for that missing income. Um, I want to say that is how that eventually played out because obviously that that's a that's a question it's a problem. Yeah, the I mean the way I've always looked at that that piece is how much of a hassle do I want to deal with? When I'm on vacation, I get it every time because I don't want to deal with it. Fair enough, yeah. If I were to rent if I'm renting a car because my current car is in the shop, then it's kind of like every day, like dry, like nothing's changed. I would have been so, on the hook either way. Ryan, is this impacted at all by the fact that Madison is now driving? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I don't have to tell people like Charles yet because she's not 16 <laughs> and have a, has a driver's license. She has a permit, Charles. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I guess what I was getting at here is, and, well, and we could throw another piece to the pie is my credit card actually covers right? There, there's a piece of the credit cards. And depending on mm-hmm. your credit card, the credit cards can actually be pretty darn good coverage, right? So the point of, I think the whole point of this conversation is make sure you're understanding what you're covered for and what you're not and what you're willing to really put on the table from the standpoint of your own money. And and in my case, it's it's frankly my time. What, yeah. So Ryan's answer to that actually was curious. When should someone call you 
and say, hey, I've got a permit driver or I've got a new license driver. Like when, when in that process of permitting versus licensing, should someone give you a call about their 15-year-old, 16-year-old? Or, or like I've heard of kids that are like 25 now that don't have driver's license, which is yeah. just sounds crazy to me. Charles, before you answer that question, I need you to answer it a specific way because I don't want I, – I want to wait as long as possible for my <laughs> car insurance premiums go up. So I'm going to need you okay. to give me an answer when I can pass the bill on to my daughter. Gotcha. Well, like good news for you there. So in general, when, when, the, when the kid is getting their permit and they're permitted and not a fully-fledged license holder yet, the, they can, you can add them to your policy as a listed driver. So they're not going to be – at least in my experience here with the carriers we work with, you're not going to be charged for that child being on your policy while they're in the permit phase. Once they become licensed, we plug, you know, we type in everything. We plug in their new license number, and uh, they're now a listed driver just like you or your spouse. Um, and then at that point, they'll be, um, you know, factored in on the, the cost for your policy. So uh, it's a bit of both. What if she's permitted for the rest of her life? You'll want to have a conversation with her about passing tests. That's all I can tell you. And probably don't send her to college because she won't she won't pass the test there. No, we've already given her the uh, the we gave her our two cents. Where if she's gonna when she gets her license, she's gonna pay her her portion of the insurance, just like Diane did, and just like I did. So I guess we're gonna be those horrible, mean parents that make our kids pay their insurance premiums. Well, how much in the real world? How, how much do insurance premiums go up when you add a 16-year-old driver? It uh, it varies, but in general, uh, I would say a lot. That's that's the, the short answer. So, um, I mean, it's more more for boys, Alex. More for boys. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, it's you know there are things you can do. You can have a uh, good student discount. Actually, is a huge huge deal. Uh, so, if someone let's say someone's paying four grand a year for their insurance, husband, wife, and a kid, maybe two or three cars. That sounds about right. Having a good student discount could save them like four or five hundred bucks a year. So with most companies, I believe they it's a three cutoff for that on average. So that's one other additional reason to incentivize your kids to to make sure they do well in high school. All the more reason to attend a school like Arizona. <laughs> to get a three duh. Yeah, exactly. Way easier that way. Obviously, totes. <laughs> well, um Charles. This is, I mean, I've learned uh, quite a bit actually um, through this, just as an update for me. Uh, appreciate your your guidance and your knowledge uh, to helping our clients and hopefully our listeners uh, appreciate this too. If our listeners wanted to contact you about their personal stuff, how would they get a hold of you? Um, easiest way is you can text or call me at uh, my number. It's 425-818-9542. That's probably the easiest way. Heather, make sure you write that down. Um, <laughs> All kidding aside, Alex is not living in the shed. I'd just like to mock him. If anyone's going to be living in the shed, it'd be me first. I'm hoping he'd join me. That would be awkward, but it'd be kind of fun at the same time. Make it a little cramped. I have zero desire to live in a tiny house, let alone a shed. <laughs> Which, Alex, we normally have a question of the day uh, for this episode. Do you have a question in mind? I no, like I've asked all my questions. Yeah. So, well, here's my own question is when is, so listeners listening, because that's what listeners do. They listen. <laughs> When's the last time you actually looked at your auto and home insurance coverages? And 
maybe a, a, a different question is, does your current agent proactively reach out to you to do an insurance review? And if not, when was the last time you checked it out? So head over to beerandmoney.net and there's a spot for you to answer that question. At the top, you put contact us and then you can answer that question. Or if you got any questions from this that you want us to talk about further, maybe we can bring on you know this guy named Charles to talk more into uh, those questions. So we hope this episode was valuable. If you got any value out of it, share with your friends, share with the coworkers, because if you got something out of it, my guess is they might as well. We hope this episode is valuable for you. And as always, Mr. Collins. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities Guardian or Quantified Financial Partners and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Brian and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities LLC, OSJ 200 Market Street, Suite 1850. Portland, Oregon, 97201, phone number 503-221-1226. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives at the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow, AR Insurance License Number 1531912, CA Insurance License Number 0K24924, Alexander Collins, AR Insurance License Number 7264699, CA Insurance License Number 0H24806, Pinpoint Number 2023154753, Expiration April 2025.